Is everybody happy? If you're not happy yet, you're going to be happy. All right. I can't believe we get to do this. This is fun, and it's fun watching God heal us and change our lives. As, as Debbie pointed out, as we're talking about the, the whole theme of Celebrate Recovery, hurts, habits, hang-ups, I want to remind all of us that none of us are getting through life, skating through without being dinged up. Can I get an amen on that? Not that we're celebrating that, but can we at least acknowledge that? Sometimes people have been fed a false bill of goods in the church that somehow if you love Jesus, you get exempt from any problems in life. Let me quote Jesus, the final authority, John chapter 16. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. It's not the trials and sorrows that bug me. It's the many that he threw in there under the Holy Spirit's inspiration. It could have just been, you're going to have some troubles. But no, we get the word many in there. Does that bother anybody else besides me? It kind of rubs me the wrong way. But I only quoted half the verse. But Jesus said, take heart, because I've already overcome the world. And so there's, we're not exempt from hurts and habits and hang-ups but the key thing is you really have a choice as to how you want to respond to the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups. There's a victory on the other side of every hurt, habit, or hang-up in Christ Jesus. And that's the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where people came from. God has a better future for you if you'll work things out his way and if you'll trust him. And I want to encourage you. How many of you know we're not home yet, but suffering would be unbearable if we aren't certain about two things. Number one, that God is for you and that God is with you. Can you just say that out loud? Personalize it. God is for me. Say it. And God is with me. Do you believe it? Because when you're going through your deepest pain, the devil's strategy or scheme is to get you to question that God is for you and that God is with you. And I just want to tell you, if you don't believe that, I don't know how you're going to get through the stuff that comes along your way, uh, because that's really what help, helps to catapult us into victory. Take a look with me at, at an important passage that deals with the topic of perspective. We're going to have pain, but how we deal with our pain is all determined by our perspective. And I want, to, I want you to look with me at Genesis chapter 35, verse 16. It says, leaving uh, Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on to Ephrath, but Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense, and after a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, don't be afraid, you're going to have another son. Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the baby Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, renamed him, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a stone monument over Rachel's grave, and it can be seen there to this day. Now let's give a little family background here. When, Ra when uh, Jacob first set eyes on Rachel, he fell madly in love with her. He knew that he wanted her to be his wife. The problem was she had a really ornery dad. His name was Laban. Y'all remember him? Laban needed to get off to celebrate recovery and deal with some character issues, all right? <laughs> Laban had some hurts and habits and hang-ups that needed to be addressed. And Laban basically was a shrewd businessman, and, and uh, he said, look, I'll give you my daughter Rachel for seven years of work. 
And the Bible says this. This is, this is how powerful their love was. The Bible says that uh, Jacob worked for those seven years, and it seemed like a matter of days. How many of you know that's romantic language? Saying, baby, I would have worked for you for seven days was nothing. It seemed like the day after tomorrow, all right? We just got started. He was madly in love. But then the father-in-law pulls a nasty trick on him. And on his wedding night, he gives this older sister, Leah, to Jacob in marriage. Now, it says it was in the dark of night. Now, all I can say is it had to be really dark, all right? Like, how do you get that messed up? Like, but anyway, he awakens in the morning and looks over and goes, you ain't Rachel. You're Leah. And of course, father-in-law says, I got a plan for you. For seven more years, just a couple of days, you can work for me, and then I'll give you my daughter, Rachel's hand in marriage. Actually, it was sooner than the seven years, but he had to work, agree to work for another seven years. Let me just say this. He was crazy about Rachel. They also had some trouble conceiving. Remember that? She cried out to the Lord. She said, God, give me a son lest I die. She was passionate in her prayer for God to intervene, and God gave her a miracle son. His name was Joseph. You all in the hear about Joseph in the Bible. Gave her a miracle son. And we all know the story of Joseph and how God raised him up. But Joseph was the first son. But it's interesting because when she gave birth to Joseph, she named him Joseph because his name means, may he add yet another son to my family. Kind of a funny name every time you see your son. May you add yet another son to my family. Um, So that's, that's the heartbeat behind this, a supernatural birth. But she, even in that birth, she had a vision for a family. What a beautiful thing. So take a look here. When we're dealing with pain, our perspective on pain makes all the difference in the world. When Rachel gives birth, all she can think about is the fact that this has been an incredibly hard labor and that her strength is leaving her body. And as she's dying, she names this child through the lens of her pain. And she names him son of my sorrow. Now, how many of you know, you you don't want, when you're looking at this boy growing up, You don't want him to be forever associated with one of the most painful events that Jacob has ever experienced, and you don't want his identity shaped by those words, because he he has nothing to do with this. He's not the reason that she died. He's actually a reason for great celebration, but he's looked at through the lens of personal pain. Now, we do this all the time. And I want to encourage you to think, some of you in this room today, as I shared, this is a prophetic word. There are some of you, if you will learn how to rephrase or reshape uh, your pain, it will actually lead to a great breakthrough in your life. Jacob says, no, 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 no. You're not going to be named son of my sorrow. I do not want to look at you for the rest of my life and have painful memories of the woman who I love dearly. I don't want to be remembering her death every time I look at you. I'm going to rename you, and you're going to be called the son of my right hand. Now, listen to what that means. It's a powerful name. Matthew Henry says that when he changed the name to Benjamin, son of my right hand, what what Jacob was saying was, you are very dear to me. You are set on my right hand for a blessing. You are the support of my old age. You will be like a staff 
and like my right hand. Isn't that a powerful prophetic word? So you're not going to be a source of my sorrow. You're actually going to be some, somebody that will bring me great joy and support and strength in my old age. He took him from a place of dishonor to a place of honor. And here's what I want you to see. It was the same set of circumstances. The difference was somebody looked at it through the eyes of their brokenness and pain while somebody else looked at it through the eyes of hope and promise. And I want you to see something. There are painful things that happen in our lives, and they need to be grieved over. That's why we have things like funerals, and we pause, and we remember, and we cry, and we tell stories. What did Jacob do? He built a monument. This was no small, small thing, taking the time to build a monument. He built a monument so that every time they went by that place, he would remember the wife of his youth. It's good to remember and to properly honor those painful seasons where there's loss in our lives. I want to encourage you as a believer, don't just gloss over those painful situations. We need to look at it right in the eyes. We need to feel it. We need to process through it. And we need to get healed from whatever has happened to us. Can I get an amen? But once you've put the monument there, stop living in the past and start believing in everything we just sang in this service. I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord. Come on, we, I, the chain's falling off, the wonder-working God. I'm not going to be trapped in the pain of my past. I'm going to believe that if I can allow God to change my perspective, there is a different future that's waiting for me. And it takes faith to do this. It takes faith to do this. You have to believe that God is not done yet. I love what Mark Batterson says in one of his books. He says, it's not our experiences that make us or break us. It's our interpretation of and explanation for those experiences that ultimately determines who we become. Your explanations are more important than your experiences. This is powerful. Your explanation as to what happened to you is bigger and more powerful than the experience itself. I've heard of prisoners of war. You maybe have heard some of these stories. The, the, the thing that determined whether or not they were broken under the intense pain uh, and trauma that they went through or whether they lived for another day was this belief right here. You might be able to hurt my body, but I'm still in control of me and what's going on on the inside. I'm still in control of how I'm processing this, and I'm choosing to believe that there's a purpose in the midst of my pain that's greater than what I'm going through right now. And because I, I, you can do whatever you want to this body, I am more than this body and you will not break me. There's something powerful. This is why this whole victim thing in the church stinks terribly. The victim mentality. You're, not, you're only a victim if you choose to be a victim. You're only a victim if you choose to let the injustices you've gone through shape your life. But that choice is your choice. You can stay, and you can be crippled for the rest of your life, and you can try to gather as much sympathy from others. Uh, and, you, and if you want to play that game, play that game. But it would be your responsibility at the end of the day when you stand before God, and he says, why did you choose to allow the painful situation to determine your future? Am I not bigger than that situation? Am I not more powerful than that situation? And could, how about this? Could you not believe that there was something I'm trying to do with that pain that's going to lead not only to your blessing, but to somebody else's blessing? I can't help but think when little Debbie's growing up and her family dealing with the disappointment and the pain and the, uh, and the abandonment and rejection, whatever she was feeling when she sees her father inebriated, 
and sees it time after time after time, could, could it possibly be that God was saying, you know what? I don't like what you're going through. I'm not making you go th- through this. I didn't make that choice for your daddy, but I'm believing somewhere down the road here, Debbie, if you turn to me and look at what she did. She didn't become a victim. She said, you know what? I'm going to have compassion on my dad. I'm, I'm going to honor my dad even though he's an alcoholic. Not honor what he's doing. I'm going to honor who he is. And I'm going to forgive him. I don't know where he came from. I don't know his past hurts. But I'm going to pray for him. And I'm going to have compassion on him. And I'm going to believe that God can heal him and save him. And who would have thought that a little girl who went through that kind of pain would not only, check this out, would not only see her dad completely set free, but that God was so wrecker. I'll just tell you, you know why we have Celebrate Recovery here? Because God wrecked Debbie's heart. He wrecked her. Have you ever been wrecked by God? Have you ever had God so deal with you in a certain area where you were so broken and you knew you were being apprehended for something? Can I just tell you something? You, You can't do a ministry like that for 10 years unless you have been apprehended by a supernatural God with a call that's burning in your heart, because it's not always easy. But I'll tell you this, I'm so glad, Debbie and Greg, I'm glad you guys didn't play the victim card, because there's a whole bunch of people at this church that have been powerfully touched by your courage to say, you know what, I'm going to let Jesus reframe the explanation behind what's going on. That's the power of perspective. Another famous passage that we, we know and love, Genesis 50, is talking about Joseph's life. Verse 20, you intended, he said, to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. He said, don't be afraid, guys. I'm going to continue to take care of you and your children, multiple generations of blessing. And he reassured them by speaking, reassured them by speaking kindly to them. There's all kinds of hurtful things that happen to us that, let me just make very clear, it's not God's will, it's not God's purpose, it's not God causing that. Just because something painful happens to me doesn't mean God did it. You all understand that. But the beauty of this is God can take all of that mess and turn it into something beautiful if we will take our pain and give it to the Lord and listen, believe that there's a purpose embedded in the pain. Now, the other day, Marion was out in the garage, and she let out a shriek, you know. I was like, ah, she opened up our refrigerator that's in the garage. Now, things get forgotten in the, in the refrigerator in the garage. And, and, I, and my smell isn't all that great anymore. Don't, please don't lay hands on me. I consider it a blessing, all right? <laughs> she let out a shriek like she encountered a hell itself. And she said, oh, honey, come look at this. We pulled out the vegetable drawer. The vegetables had become like a liquid cocktail, all right? Like a V8. (laughs) Oh, you don't want to drink what was in our refrigerator. It was nasty. And she told me it smelled nasty. Thank God I couldn't smell a thing. I was just having a party like I always... I'm just living the dream. But it it was nasty because... Those stinking vegetables had been forgotten, and they just deteriorated, and they liquefied, and they putrefied. 
Now, again, this wasn't in my notes. I'm blaming the Holy Spirit for this illustration right now. Some of you, you take the pain of what you've been through and you stick it in the refrigerator, in the garage, and you try to forget about it. But it's turning to liquid, mushy, nasty, V8, you wouldn't want to drink kind of stuff. It's horrific. And it stinks like crazy. And you're like, I'm, I'm not going to ever forget that. I'm, ne- I'm never going to be able to overcome this pain. Yeah, you're gonna, it's going to putrefy inside of you. Or check this out. When you take a healthy piece of fruit or vegetable and you take the seeds that are in that healthy piece of fruit or vegetable, you can feed the nations with that one piece of fruit. So either you let the Lord take your pain and turn it into a purpose that's greater than you that ends up being a blessing to many. Joseph's standing here and he's going, guys, guys, talk about guilty conscience. Every one of his brothers think as soon as dad dies, he's going to kill us. And that's when he makes that famous statement. He said, hey, guys, Elevate your thinking. You tried to harm me. You tried to kill me. But God had a greater purpose. And now the, the nations of the world at that time were being fed through one boy who had a killer dream from God and who had to go through hell, literally, to see that dream become a reality. So I'm just telling you, what are you going through? What am I going through? Why is God allowing this to happen? If you can find a, his purpose, not a purpose, his purpose, in the midst of your pain, it changes everything. Take a look at Romans eight twenty eight. We know this verse. We know that God causes everything. Can you all say everything? God causes everything to work together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Here's the principle. Your purpose is often hidden in your pain. Don't hide from your pain. Explore your pain. How many times have people got involved in ministries because when they walk through that pain themselves, it birthed a, a compassion for other people who are going through the same thing? I just prayed with a guy today. He, he had done a prison sentence before, made some bad decisions in his life. He said, Pastor, would you pray for me? And I said, yeah, what's going on? I'm getting ready to go in, uh, to LCJC on a regular basis and share with those young people and minister to them. I'm sitting there thinking, how cool is this? Here's somebody who has been there and made some bad choices and now wants to go back in and warn some young people that they don't have to make the same choices he has. How powerful it is when you've seen a man or woman who have been involved in abortion situation who have been so touched and so broken by that situation that they share their story openly and it offers hope for other people and they're involved in saving the lives of others. It's amazing. This happens over and over again because many times our purpose is embedded in our pain. Another way to say it is your messes often become your message. Your message become your message. In other words, all the messes going on in your life right now. You know, I just want to prophesy this. There's some marriages in this place right now. And you're wondering, I don't know if I can go on another week. Well, I'm encouraging you to kind of reframe how you're seeing some things and maybe believe that the pain that you're going in right now, if you'll turn it to the Lord and begin to let him redeem it, you'll actually be ministering to some marriages around you. Yeah, that's the way it works. God doesn't call extremely talented, perfect people. He, only, he doesn't have any of those people to work with. Those people are called deceived. He only has broken people. And if you'll admit your brokenness, God can do great things. If you'll testify about your mess, 
God will turn it into a message. They can, see, this is why it's so great in this place. This is why you guys are dangerous. When you tell about yourself and you include all the mess, you give hope to other people, and your, your mess becomes a message to somebody else that sets them free and gives them hope. And the devil hates it. The devil loves church boys like Greg Aguilera. I don't need to go to CR. I know, Deb, that's your thing, you know. I'm just going to stay home and watch the poodle, you know, whatever. I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) 31 years in church, and the best that he could say was, I'm good. That's a religious spirit. I'm good. I'm good. No, you're not. Do do we ever arrive? Have you ever? Do you think that, that you as a finite person could ever experience the fullness of the infinite one, Jesus Christ? So let me just tell you something. Watch this phrase, I'm good. It has the hiss of hell all over it. I'm good. Sounds to me like you got a big old fig leaf. And here's what I love about Greg. Then he finally started going, all right, well, maybe I'll just show up. But I'll set up a few tables and chairs, and I'll just, you know, do that kind of stuff. And now he has been wrecked by the Lord. Now he's right up there to his eyeballs and loving people and ministering to people. Isn't Isn't it great how patient and how loving and awesome God is with us? So don't be all good because it's a lie from the pit of hell. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. He, talking about the Lord, comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort others. When they are in trouble, we're going to be able to give them the same comfort God's given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even though we're weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. And then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. Now, let me just share this. When I was a younger man in ministry, I, you know, I, I've lived a relatively sheltered life. My mom and dad, you all know my mom and dad, pretty good people. All right? I have been sheltered. Is it anything I've done? No. It's the providence of God. I can't claim anything. I just thank God I was raised in the family I was raised in. And so here's the problem, though. When you're raised in a pretty good situation, you can become a self-righteous Pharisee like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. See, like whenever I show up at, at Celebrate Recovery and you're supposed to tell who you, who you are or what God's delivered you from, I just introduce myself as the self-righteous prodigal older brother, the less famous one, but equally the sinner. And I went through some seasons in my life when there was a lot of pain. Let me just encourage you, if any of you are wanting to run for office, do it. It will crush you. People will say nasty things about you. They'll lie about you, and they'll put it on a, on a promotional piece, and they'll send it to all your neighbors. It's an awesome experience. Um, so I was going through some, some crushing, and I'm like, Lord, you know, this isn't really fair, and look at your name and your reputation and all that kind of stuff, and he was just silent. But here's what I found through that season. People would come up for prayer. And maybe it would be something like, Pastor, I got bit by a mosquito. Please pray for me. I mean, something big, you know, like that. I would lay, I would lay hands on people, and I would just start weeping. Whatever you, oh, yes, I'm hugging you. I'm snotting all over. I'm praying. 
How I many you know when you go through pain, it has a way of crushing you and breaking you down? And you know what it did for me? It helped me get in touch with people's pain. Can I ask you a question? What good is a pastor who can't feel the pain of his congregation? Because he's been so sheltered and he's lived a great life. So the Lord lets you experience pain so that you can be a better shepherd. Don't ever waste your pain. In fact, I've heard men say, Dude, I'm, you know, I don't want to cry, man. I'm not a cryer. I'm not a cryer. Don't ever say that. Some of the best things you can do is hug somebody at an altar and cry with them. Some of the best sermons I've ever heard preached are hardly intelligible with phonetics. It's just slobber and snot and tears. When someone, when someone breaks open their heart for you, the Holy Spirit is released in such a powerful way. Don't waste your pain. But don't put it in the refrigerator, in your garage, in the vegetable drawer. Here's the good news for every son and daughter of God. Sin and pain and scars do not have the final word in my life, and they don't have the final word in your life. That's the, that's the final word. Let me end with this. I'm going to end with this, and then we're going to give an opportunity, and I want you to seize it if it's you, all right? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. This is why we never give up. I'm going to read that again. This is why we never give up. There, there's somebody here today, you're like this far from just throwing in the towel, you just want to quit. This is how God speaks to us when we obey him and we come together. This is for you. Don't give up. Never give up. Never think about giving up. Don't give an inch to the enemy in your life. This is why we don't give up. Our bodies are dying. Our spirits are being renewed. Our present troubles, listen to this, our present troubles are small. Can you just say that out loud? Personalize it. My present troubles are small. Let's say it again. My present troubles are small. What do we do? We just reframed the perspective. Small compared to what? Compared to the greatness and awesome power of God Almighty. My present troubles are small, and they won't last very long. Hallelujah. They produce for us, though, a glory that it vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. We just sang about those things today. You know, there, I prayed for a couple who was struggling to have kids. They believed a lie that their past sin was keeping them from being able to have kids today. I said, she said she had been to an encounter. She'd been set free. She'd been forgiven. I said, so your choice is to believe a lie or to believe the truth. Every time the devil comes and tells you you're to blame, you're to blame, you're to blame, you tell him, shut your ugly face because you're, you're a liar. And then it's not, that's just the first part. Then you start prophesying the truth. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. Thank you for the blessing over our family. Thank you, Father. And, and this is the, the word of the Lord that I had for them. You guys need to have a party a celebration of what is to come. Now, before it happens. 
It's easy to celebrate after the answer prayer. Throw a party now. And thank God that his goodness lasts forever and that the future is better than the past with the Lord. Throw the party now. Where do you need to throw a party? What breakthrough do you need to sell? You, you know how ticked off the devil is when you throw a party over something that hasn't even materialized? Because, did you hear what it says here? We don't look at the troubles that we can see. We fix our gaze on the things that we can't see. For the things we see now are soon going to be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. So here's, I got two questions for you. Actually, a question and a challenge, and then we're going to pray. If I could have our worship, our ministry team come up here. Here's my question for you. How could the story of your pain offer hope to somebody else who needs to hear that story for their own life, all right? What's your story, and who needs to hear it? And, and this, was a, this was literally what the Holy Spirit spoke to me this morning for you guys. Here's, here's what the Lord said. Ask them, will you bring your pain as an offering? Who brings rancid vegetables as an offering to the Lord? That's what smart people do. It's the greatest trade possible. You bring this to the Lord because nobody else wants them. But he says, will you bring me your pain? Check this out. As an offering because there's an exchange going to take place. If there's no exchange that takes place, you cannot have a different future. But if you can exchange your pain, you can have a different perspective on where God's taking you. And listen to me, you will absolutely have a different future. It will be a future where God took your mess and turned it into an incredible message and incredible ministry for other people. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Team, come on down. And when I say amen, you guys, if, please do not leave here. This is a Cairo season, all right? Uh, this, this is what God is doing in this very moment, a rhema word in this season. Like, act on this word. There, if there's a pocket of pain or brokenness, bring it to the Lord. There's an exchange that God wants to do. So, Father, thank you for Celebrate Recovery. Thanks for Greg and Deb. Thanks for the amazing team that's around them. Thank you for the lives that have been touched. And Lord, we're believing in the future thousands and thousands of more lives. Thank you for every story in this place, every pocket of pain, Lord, that you've touched and healed already. And for every person today that's going to experience breakthrough in the name of Jesus. So I declared over our church, breakthrough in the name of Jesus. The change that we've been singing about, clanking to the ground because Jesus Christ and the glory of God comes. Father, do it today. Set your church free. Send us on a whole other trajectory. Let there be ministries and messages born in this place even today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, we love you like crazy. You need prayer. Take a hold of this. Come on down, all right?